happy anniversary, by the way. Six years ago, today, October 1st. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Uh, the Mill Creek campus opened their doors for the very first time. Some of you were there uh, on that day. And, um, and it's, we've had our ups and our downs and our pandemics and all sorts of things. But um, God has been faithful in all of that. And we want to continue to remain on vision. We want to continue to remain on mission. We want to see God. We want to be the neighborhood church that we came out here to be. We want our people to view their homes and um, their communities as the opportunity to be chapels on their street. And so whether you were there on day one or this is your very first Sunday, um, we're so grateful uh, that you are here. And we're looking forward to all that God wants to do in us and through us. And we're glad that you are a part of that. Um, I would imagine that many of you at one point in time in your life or another have had the experience where maybe you had a, a, the kind of friend who is very kind and they're very gracious and they're very generous with their words. And so if you were to come out and sort of ask that friend, like, hey, what do you think of, of my outfit? Like, does this match? And, and that sort of thing, they're going to tell you, you look great right? They're going to say everything is working and you look perfect. And if there was any kind of critique that they were going to offer, if there's anything off, right, it would be something like maybe I would do a different belt or, or something like that. And, and no matter what you are wearing, they're going to send you out looking like you are. So they're great on kind of the compassion side, maybe sort of in the like truth department, like uh. on the other hand, right? You may have had a friend where it's like you walk into the room, you haven't asked for their opinion on your outfit, like you haven't sought any advice, and they're just like, you look ridiculous, by the way. Like, like, like they, I would never step out in that kind of uh, outfit. And you, like, they're very quick with, like, the truth side of things. They're very, like, you need to hear this. This is for you. I love you. Maybe not the compassionate sort of like we could work on the the delivery side of thing and the reason that i say this is today we are beginning a series on the book of james and we're going to be spending a little bit of time with that second kind of friend like james has a way of being direct and 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 direct i think at times to the point that can feel for us almost blunt James at times um, feels like he's is less concerned about our, our feelings and he is really more concerned about the urgency of our immediate circumstances and situations and what does it look like? How do we live out in that urgency our faith in Jesus? How, what does it look like to live as followers of Jesus in these circumstances? So James has a tendency to come across as very practical, a lot of sort of like do this. Um, he, he's concerned about the outworking of our faith. But if you've read James recently, I think at times it will rub up against what I call like our suburban sensibilities, right? So just fair warning as, as we head in this together. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to James chapter 1. Um, I often say this when we're beginning a new series, but it's particularly when we are studying a letter together, I want to encourage you to bring an actual physical Bible. I'll put, I'll put the text up on the screens 
like we always do. But for me, I think there's value in seeing it in its greater context. Um, and so if you got a Bible at home, I encourage you to bring it with you. If you don't, I would be happy. Uh, come see me. I would love to get one for you. But if you're new to finding James, it is in the last like 10th of, of the Bible. So it's there's the book of Hebrews right in front of it. There's first and second Peter right after it. You get to Revelation. If, if you go to the left just a little bit, you're going to find the book of uh, James and, and his letter to the church. And so let's start in James chapter one. We're going to spend nine weeks working through this letter together. James one, verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad greetings let's pause here for just a moment because this this first verse serves to provide uh, uh, some really helpful context and background to this entire letter in the new testament um, there are a number of james that are mentioned and um, but what is unique about this particular james is that this is James, the younger brother of Jesus. And almost all the, not, I, I, don't, I am not aware of any ancient historical perspective that, that saw it as any other person. So that was the understanding. This is James, the, the brother of Jesus. And what's unique about, about James is that when we see in the Gospels, his opinion of Jesus at the time, was Jesus was doing his ministry, was that he was... Um, skeptical to say the least in fact in, in the gospel of mark chapter 3 when jesus is teaching it records that some of jesus's brothers thought that he was crazy specifically they said he's out of his mind in james chapter 3 john chapter 7 just simply records that jesus's siblings did not believe in him and to be fair to them right i imagine your older brother or sister like running around doing miracles and te like it would be easy to kind of think like who is this guy think he is that kind of thing then and after the resurrection james has an encounter with the risen jesus and in fact you can read this in first corinthians paul records who jesus appeared to after his resurrection and james is specifically mentioned so james faith ignites when he meets the resurrected Jesus, his faith, like our faith, begins with an encounter with the risen Lord. In Acts chapter 1, James is in Jerusalem, hanging out with the rest of the disciples. They're following Jesus' instructions to remain there and to wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So James is there with them. And by Acts chapter 15, when the church is facing some of its first challenges and issues, James is there present as, as the primary leader in Jerusalem to help navigate that difficult conflict. So he's gone from skeptic to believer to leader in the church in Acts chapter 15. And so if you're here today and, and you're wrestling with your own questions about who Jesus is and, and how you relate to him and what is believable and, and just know that James has been there. He's been there himself. He can relate to that. James, obviously, like Jesus, grew up in a, a Jewish home. He's well-versed 
in the Old Testament. He's well-versed in the Torah, the law, right? But he also grew up around his brother. And he knows the teachings of Jesus. And, and at times, as we work through this letter, I think you're going to hear echoes. Like, you're going to be like, That's, that sounds like Jesus. Like, moments when you think like that. I remember Jesus saying that in the sermon on, on the mountain. We'll point out a couple of those as we work together. But then notice who the letter's addressed to. It's addressed to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. His audience is, this is one of the earliest letters in the New Testament. His audience is some of the earliest Christians in the entire New Testament. They're primarily Jewish. So, right, it's, it's described, it's defined to the 12 tribes who are now scattered about the region because they are trying to survive the persecution that has erupted inside of Jerusalem. It's, it's been pushed them out. And so it's perhaps no surprise that James, in his direct manner, as he so frequently does, he looks, he begins by trying to equip these Christians in the face of this persecution. What does it look like to live as a Jesus follower? What does faith look like in the midst of, of these trials? So that's where we pick things up in verse 2 now. We continue on. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it. A great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any, of you, any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So at the very outset of James's letter to the church, he begins by exploring this topic of, of his vision of what does faith look like in the midst of trials. Faith in, in trials. This summer, my family uh, was on a family vacation in Florida, and my, in the middle of that week, my nephew had to leave our, our time together in order to fly back to report to basic training for his ROTC program. And uh, his grandfather on his mom's side and his uncle on his mom's side had both uh, been in the Navy themselves. And so before he left for basic training, they sat him down and said, we, we want to kind of give you a heads up on what to anticipate. We, we, we want you to go into this knowing what to expect. We want you to be ready. We, we want you to have clear expectations. This is kind of the heart, pastorally, the vision that James has for the church. I, 
I don't want you to be naive. I, I don't want you to go into something with some false idea about what it's going to look like. And in true James fashion, he just jumps right in, right? He says, hi, in verse 1, and then he's like, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Right? Like it's, he just goes right after it. So he's not, he's not concerned about easing into a difficult topic, but he's also not naive about what this group of Jesus followers is facing. He's aware of the persecution, and he knows that their lives have been marked by tremendous difficulty. So he speaks directly to it. James is saying, I want you, church, I want you to be prepared for the reality of what you are already facing. So in verse 2, he says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Just two quick notes here. Notice that when James starts his letter, he does not say if, but rather when. Right? His, the assumption is that they will face trials. That, that life is going to have difficulties in it. Versus what, like, what I re referenced earlier, kind of our suburban sensibilities, that the idea or the expectation is that life ought to be generally going pretty well for us. So he doesn't want the Jesus follower to... to be kind of knocked off their bearings when they face trials and, and difficulty. He says, this, this is a reality of life in a broken world. This is a reality of what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, notice the second thing, he says they are various. The NIV says trials of many kinds. There is this diversity of trials. They vary in degree and in intensity and in type. They vary in, in the sense of the, how long they last, their duration. But what is certain to James that he wants the church to know is that they will, and I think subsequently we will, in various degrees and forms, experience them. So at this point, it, it might be helpful for us to just offer a working definition of, of the idea of trials. Like, what is James talking about here? When I talk about trial, I, James is referring to those external experiences of difficulty or suffering that when uh, in the absence of faith could cause us to doubt that God is good. So he's saying this is coming at us from the outside. This is the result of, of brokenness in others. It might not be anything that you did, but somebody might be enacting it on you. It could be brokenness just in our world around us, but it's something that's happening to us from the outside. And what James wants to do is equip us, as we'll see in the text here, he wants to equip us to see an opportunity, a process, and a prize. An opportunity, a process, and a prize. First, the opportunity. Again, in verse 2, he says, consider it a great joy. Now, I don't... Like you, when you're walking in to see somebody in the midst of suffering, I don't generally lead out with James 1, verse 2, right? Like this is, because it can feel disconnected, right? It can feel almost Pollyannish, like that, like let's keep a stiff upper lip and all that sort of thing. Like it's spiritually, like the, my dad's like answer to every injury that I ever experienced as a child was walk it off. Right? Like it could feel like the spiritual version of walk it off. Concussion, 
walk it off. Like broken arm, walk it off. Emotionally wounded, you know, walk it off. Like it was the whole gamut, right? And it could feel like if we just take that in its own context and that's all that we offer, it can, it can read that way to us. But that's not what James is, is doing here. James isn't asking us to pretend that it doesn't hurt. In fact, when Jesus in the Gospels, when think of the moment when he comes alongside Martha and Mary after the death of, of their brother Lazarus. Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he's not dismissive of Martha and Mary's grief. In fact, quite the opposite. He, he meets them in it. He, he grieves himself their pain and their suffering. See, that the idea of this joy that's available in the midst of suffering isn't based on some sort of like just overcome. That's not what it's about. Instead, James points us to the possibility of the outcomes or, or what we might think of as a greater purpose. Right in verse 3 and, and 4, he says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance, and the NIV calls it perseverance, right? Once that's had its full effect in your life, what results in that is maturity. It's, it's what he says, lacking in nothing, this idea of completeness. So in other words, how do we become fully formed followers of Jesus? How do we learn to trust God in every circumstance? Right? James's, James' answer to that is that we endure to the point of maturity. And for this reason... We can value the outcome. We can look at it and, and actually consider it joy in the midst of the pain. When we look and, and, and understand what God can ultimately do in us and through us. The outcome of actual trials. And then he helps us understand the process a bit here. Look at verse 5 again. What's our need for this? It says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. I, I cited this verse probably, I don't know, a number of times this summer when we were studying the book of Proverbs together. And if you remember a couple of times, I, I mentioned that people sometimes talk about the, James's letter as sort of the Proverbs of the New Testament, because he places such an emphasis on the role of wisdom in our lives. And so again, just to kind of remind ourselves where we were when we, uh, this summer, just as a working definition of, of wisdom, a biblical definition, is we think of it as learning to know how to live God's way in God's world. Knowing how to live God's way in God's world, the instruction from James is that in the midst of the trials is that we ask for wisdom for God specifically in response to these unwelcomed and unanticipated events in our lives. That, that we request from God to be able to see with his perspective, that we request from God the knowledge to know how to respond in the middle of it, and in the midst of it, and we request from God this ability to ultimately trust him. It's to ask ourselves, how do I live in God's way through this pain and this difficulty? 
And here's the thing about this, is that this, this wisdom isn't the promise that we are going to be able to understand our circumstances. It's not the promise that we're going to have the answer to the question why. And it's not further than that. It's, it's not even that we're going to gain some further insight into ultimate outcomes. Like it's not the promise that we're going to see what, what ultimately is going to come, what good is going to come of it on, on this side of eternity. The promise is that when we seek wisdom from God on how to live out our faith in the midst of our circumstances is that God gives us that wisdom and he does so generously with, with abundance. We pray, God, show me how to live for you in the midst of this, in the face of this pain and this sorrow and this difficulty. Lord, I'm asking for your wisdom. Um, one quick rabbit trail here is, is verses 6 through 11. One interesting thing about the book of James is that James chapter 1 topically serves as a almost like an executive summary for where he's going to go in the rest of the letter. So there's some things that I'm, I'm, for the sake of time, I'm not getting into here because James is going to return to it later in his letter. But I did want to just mention real quickly this question of, of doubt and how do we understand doubt? Because you have heard me say uh, a number of times before that, that it's not doubt that is toxic to our faith, but rather it is unspoken doubt right? It's, it's situations where we don't learn to process our doubt. We don't learn how to do that in a way that is helpful or, or bring it to the Lord. So it's a question of like, okay, we need, I need to approach this without questions in my life or any kind of understanding. I don't think that's what James is suggesting. Rather, I think what James is leading us to here is the understanding that is specifically on the topic of like uh, trusting. Am I like, we can't exist in kind of this dual role of, like, I trust you, I, I don't trust you. He's like, that, that is what is turbulent, he says, in our lives. Like, that's what just kind of tosses us around. Like, he's like, I want you to lean in on the character and nature of God. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. And then thirdly, James offers the prize. Notice the prize. He says in verse earlier on, he said, we'll be mature and complete, lacking nothing, and then in verse 12, follow down there real quick. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. In other words, he's saying the events of this life don't have the final say. Right? This is, James is, it will hear this a number of times throughout this letter. That, that crown of life that he refers to, that's a metaphor taken from like ancient sports arena, meaning like the prize that awaits you at the end of, of the event. He's saying live with eternity in view. Right? The prize of, 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 in James's view, of ultimate life. And then he continues on in his letter and he begins to talk about faith. So he's dealt with faith in the midst of trials, but now he makes this turn and he starts to talk about faith and temptation. Look at verse 13 now. Faith and temptation. 
He says, he says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. I mentioned earlier this summer that in May I had the opportunity uh, for the first time in my life to go fly fishing. I was out in Montana, just beautiful scenery. I've got proof of actual accomplishment of it. Like, I am a fisherman. I know, Jim, I knew you'd be proud of me. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, uh, under the careful watch of a guide, like, was taught how to do this. And the lure, the fly that, that we were using to fly fish, looks something like this. It's, it's called a um, fire bead Ray Charles Gray. So I'm assuming fire bead has something to do. I have no idea. I don't know why they call it that. But what was fascinating about this is that these little flies, they mimic the insects that the fish are eating in the water. So much so that on one particular morning when we caught the first fish of the day, our guide took that fish and he stuck like this syringe down its throat into its stomach and pumped the content of its, that fish was having a, a bad day. Um, and then laid out the contents on this mat in our boat and started to kind of like look at what that fish had been eating that morning in order then to go and to pick the fly that is going to most closely, like what are they hungry for today kind of thing, right? You, you catch a fish by lying to it, right? You, you make something look like something that it's night, and, and this is James' imagery of, of what sin temptation does in our life where all of a sudden something that wants to appeal to us, right, now we've got a hook in our mouth and we are being dragged away. This is James's description of temptation. Well, and, and, and look, he makes the connection that in the midst of trials, these aren't separate issues for James. He's saying in the midst of trials, there is an inherent temptation that is present in there. So the trial, on the one hand, that is an external experience. But now James wants to confront or deal with the temptation that is inherently there when we are going through trials. So that's the inward part of us. That in the absence of faith, without faith, that would cause us to doubt that God is good. And James says that temptation is present when we are suffering. When we're in the midst of pain. Notice the way that James contrasts the trajectory of, of uh, faithful endurance in the face of trials, which he says results in maturity and, and completeness, lacking nothing, versus the trajectory of temptation here. He first says, he says, Let's, we have to be honest about where it finds its source. So it originates in us. It that's the, emerges from our own place of brokenness, our own sin condition, Right? So it's, it's, again, the, the trial is real, the experience of that is real, but there's also things going on inside of us that is questioning if God is, is good, if he's withholding from us, 
if we, if we think all the way back to the garden, when, when we first see sin enter into the picture, right? What is the temptation that Adam and Eve are confronted with? Again, this is not from an internal source. That's from an external source, right? It's not about fruit. Satan comes at them with this idea that God's holding back on you, that, that he is keeping something from you. How could God be good and, and keep this from you? Or in the case of trials, how could God be good and allow you to experience that? And so he's recognizing and wants to confront like this question that emerges inside of us. And he's saying when we become fixed on this conviction, right, that God is this miser, that, that he is just sort of toying with us, keeping the goodness all for himself. He says when that conceives in us, that will give birth to sin, right? Because at, at that point, your idea of God, it's like, I can't trust him. I can't follow him. So that is going to give birth to sin. He says when sin is fully grown, when that has grown up, it gives birth to death. This is the path of temptation, and it coincides, it comes alongside of trials in our life. So when that, that job loss hits, this external experience, and all of a sudden the financial challenges start to mount, the temptation is to distrust or to doubt God's ability to, or willingness even, to meet our need. When we experience the loss of someone that we love. Right? The temptation that we all face in the midst of that is to doubt and wonder if God even loves us. When we face injustice in our lives, and that's going to be a topic that James has got a number of things to say about. We ask ourselves the question, is God himself even just? And James's word is clear. He says, don't let that take root. Don't let that conceive. Because temptation unresolved, undealt with, will produce sin. And sin's ultimate destination is death. James says in verse 16, don't be deceived. Turn back there with me. He says, don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James' ultimate answer, his ultimate um, response in the face of trial and temptation, right? What does faith in, in trials look like? What does faith in temptation look like? He said it's all grounded in faith in the Father. That's where it is sourced at. The God who every good and perfect gift comes from. It's in his character and in his nature. He is the source, which James identifies two just quick sort of like pictures of this. So we experience by birth in the word of truth, which is James's description of our salvation. And he's, he's saying it's solidified. It's, it's grounded in his unchanging character as God. And secondly, that we are kind of a first fruits of, of his creatures. Which that is an Old Testament expression. It's meant to display like a taste of what is yet to come. 
right? It's like when you go apple picking and you take that first apple off the tree and you, that, that bite that is like perfectly crisp and perfectly sweet and it's delicious. And then your eyes look up and as far as you can see, it's trees full of apples. Like that's the vision that, that James offers. In other words, he's saying we are living samples of those who view their lives through this future hope. And this is, this is James's vision throughout this entire letter. He has this vision of Jesus' followers or people who hold fast in faith because of the salvation that they have experienced now and the promise of what is, is yet to come in an eternity spent with him. And so as we conclude this morning, we have the opportunity to come to the Lord's table together. And again, I'm, I'm reminded in the midst of this that we talk about this idea of trial and suffering is that it is his suffering that has informed ours. The, the hope that we have is based in what he has accomplished for us. And so just a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and they will lead us. And after I pray, I am going to, um, to set out the elements. Um, as a reminder, this, the table of, of the Lord is not a Chapel Street thing. It doesn't belong to us. You don't have to be a member here to participate. Um, we do ask, uh, as Scripture does, that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Him um, for the forgiveness of your sin, you've placed your trust in Him, you're welcome to come. If that's not where you're at this morning, that's okay. Like, allow this to be something that you just take in. Observe it as a testimony and witness to what we have come to believe about who Jesus is and, and what he's done. And so as you come to the table, I'm going to ask you to go to the center aisle and work your way down. And then you can receive the elements that are there and you'll go back to your chair. And in the privacy of, of your own seat, um, you can take the bread as Jesus gave it to his disciples, he said, this is my body, which I'm going to give for you. When you eat that bread, be reminded of the sacrifice of our Savior um, on our behalf. And when you take the cup, the blood of a new covenant that's been shed for the forgiveness of sins, again, it is his suffering that speaks into ours. He is our hope, the promise of a new covenant. You can take those in your seat, when you're ready, and then we'll conclude um, with the worship team leading us um, through one last verse of the song. So let me pray for us. I'll set out the elements, and then you can come to the table as you're ready. Father, we do just thank you for your word. We thank you for being able to gather in this place. We thank you for James's directness, um, and yet his pastoral heart that's present in all of that. But he knows that the people that he loves and care about are facing very difficult things. And he wants to equip them to continue to walk with you in the midst of that. And so, Jesus, I pray you would just meet us at your table this morning. Lord, as we come and we take the bread and we take the cup, that you would remind us of your sacrifice on our behalf, your suffering that informs and speaks into ours. Lord, I pray that we would be a church well-equipped to walk with each other, in the midst of our experiences of pain and disappointment that comes in a number of varieties and a number of ways, but teach us to walk and to live in community. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit 
would continue to power and equip us with wisdom from you to live in your way in your world. Meet us at your table this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. I know that uh, in a room this size, um, that for many of us, that this conversation is not theoretical. It's, it's, it's immediate. Um, and one of the ways that we seek to walk alongside of each other is through our Stevens ministry. And so if you have questions about that ministry, if you are saying, how do I, how do I get that kind of support? Please swing by our, our kiosk out in the lobby. You'll see it on one of our tables out there. If you're interested in being one who is equipped to walk alongside of people, we would love to chat with you and give you more information about that and invite you to, to lunch um, next week. Again, um, praying for each other, it's, again, it's a big part of the way that we walk with each other as well, and our prayer team is available. If you're journeying through something difficult, let us pray with you today. Um, and then our generosity boxes are by our side doors. If you came prepared to give today, uh, we're so grateful for your generosity. Now receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whose mercy is more. May we be found in him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.